section forty two of the cloister and the hearth this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org the cloister and the hearth by charles reed chapter thirty nine rude travel is enticing to us english and so are its records even though the adventurer be no pilgrim of love and antique friendship has at least the interest of a fossil still as the true centre of this story is in holland it is full time to return thither and to those ordinary personages and incidents whereof life has been mainly composed in all ages yorian Kittel came to peter's house to claim margaret's promise but margaret was ill in bed and peter on hearing his errand affronted him and warned him off the premises and one or two that stood by were for ducking him for both father and daughter were favourites and the whole story was in every mouth and seven bergens in that state of hot undiscriminating irritation which accompanies popular sympathy so yorian Cattell went off in dudgeon and repented him of his good deed this sort of penitence is not rare and has the merit of being sincere derrick brower who was discovered at the three kings making a chatterbox drunk in order to worm out of him the whereabouts of martin wittenhagen was actually taken and flung into a horse-pond and threatened with worse usage should he ever show his face in the burg again and finally municipal jealousy being roused the burgomaster of sevenbergen sent a formal missive to the burgomaster of tergu reminding him he had overstepped the law and requesting him to apply to the authorities of sevenbergen on any future occasion when he might have a complaint real or imaginary against any of its townsfolk the wily gisbrecht suppressing his rage at this remonstrance sent back a civil message to say that the person he had followed to sevenbergen was a turgovian one gerard and that he had stolen the town records that gerard having escaped into foreign parts and probably taken the documents with him the whole matter was at an end thus he made a virtue of necessity but in reality his calmness was but a veil baffled at sevenbergen he turned his views elsewhere he set his emissaries to learn from the family at turgu whither gerard had fled and to his infinite surprise they did not know this added to his uneasiness it made him fear gerard was only lurking in the neighbourhood he would make a certain discovery and would come back and take a terrible revenge from this time dierich and others that were about him noticed a change for the worse in gisbrecht von Sweden. he became a moody irritable man a dread lay on him his eyes cast furtive glances like one who expects a blow and knows not from what quarter it is to come making others wretched had not made him happy it seldom does the little family at turgu which but for his violent interference might in time have cemented its difference without banishing spemgregus to a distant land 
wore still the same outward features but within was no longer the simple happy family this tale opened with little kate knew the share cornelis and sibrant had in banishing gerard and though for fear of making more mischief still she never told her mother yet there were times she shuddered at the bare sight of them and blushed at their hypocritical regrets catherine with a woman's vigilance noticed this and with a woman's subtlety said nothing but quietly pondered it and went on watching for more the black sheep themselves in their efforts to partake in the general gloom and sorrow succeeded so far as to impose upon their father and giles but the demure satisfaction that lay at their bottom could not escape these feminine eyes that noting all seem not to note thus mistrust and suspicion sat at the table poor substitute for gerard's intelligent face that had brightened the whole circle unobserved till it was gone as for the old hosier his pride had been wounded by his son's disobedience and so he bore stiffly up and did his best never to mention gerard's name but underneath his spartan cloak nature might be seen tugging at his heart-strings one anxiety he never affected to conceal if i but knew where the boy is and that his life and health are in no danger small would be my care would he say and then a deep sigh would follow i cannot help thinking that if gerard had opened the door just then and walked in there would have been many tears and embraces for him and few reproaches or none one thing took the old couple quite by surprise publicity ere gerard had been gone a week his adventures were in every mouth and to make matters worse the popular sympathy declared itself warmly on the side of the lovers and against gerard's cruel parents and that old busybody the burgomaster who must put his nose into a business that nowise concerned him mother said kate it is all over the town that margaret is down with a fever a burning fever her father fears her sadly margaret what margaret inquired catherine with a treacherous assumption of calmness and indifference oh mother whom should i mean why gerard's margaret gerard's margaret screamed catherine how dare you say such a word to me and i read you never mention that hussy's name in this house that she has laid bare she is the ruin of my poor boy the flower of all my flock she is the cause that he is not a holy priest in the midst of us but is roaming the world and i a desolate broken-hearted mother there do not cry my girl i do ill to speak harsh to you but o oh, kate you know not what passes in a mother's heart i bear up before you all it behooves me swallow my fears but at night i see him in my dreams and still some trouble or other near him sometimes he is torn by wild beasts other times he is in the hands of robbers and their cruel knives uplifted to strike his poor pale face that one should think would move a stone oh when i remember that while i sit here in comfort perhaps my poor boy lies dead in some savage place and all along of that girl there her very name is ratsbane to me i tremble all over when i hear it i'll not say anything nor do anything to grieve you worse mother said kate tenderly but she sighed she whose name was so fiercely interdicted in this house was 
much spoken of and even pitied elsewhere all sevenbergen was sorry for her and the young men and maidens cast many a pitying glance as they passed at the little window where the beauty of the village lay dying for love in this familiar phrase they underrated her spirit and unselfishness gerard was not dead and she was too loyal herself to doubt his constancy her father was dear to her and helpless and but for bodily weakness all her love for gerard would not have kept her from doing her duties though she might have gone about them with drooping head and heavy heart but physical and mental excitement had brought on an attack of fever so violent that nothing but youth and constitution saved her the malady left her at last but in that terrible state of bodily weakness in which the patient feels life a burden then it is that love and friendship by the bedside are mortal angels with comfort in their voice and healing in their palms but this poor girl had to come back to life and vigour how she could many days she lay alone and the heavy hours rolled like leaden waves over her in her enfeebled state existence seemed a burden and life a thing gone by she could not try her best to get well gerard was gone she had not him to get well for often she lay for hours quite still with the tears welling gently out of her eyes one day waking from an uneasy slumber she found two women in her room one was a servant the other by the deep fur on her collar and sleeves was a person of consideration a narrow band of silvery hair being spared by her coiffure showed her to be past the age when women of sense conceal their years the looks of both were kind and friendly margaret tried to raise herself in the bed but the old lady placed a hand gently on her lie still sweetheart we come not here to put you about but to comfort you god willing now cheer up a bit and tell us first who think you we are nay madame i know you though i never saw you before you are the demoiselle van eyck and this is reichtanes gerard has oft spoken of you and of your goodness to him madame he has no friend like you near him now and at this thought she lay back and the tears welled out of her eyes in a moment the good-natured reichtanes began to cry for company but her mistress scolded her well you are a pretty one for a sick-room said she and she put out a world of innocent art to cheer the patient and not without some little success an old woman that has seen life and all its troubles is a sovereign blessing by a sorrowful young woman's side she knows what to say and what to avoid she knows how to soothe her and interest her ere she had been there an hour she had margaret's head lying on her shoulder instead of on the pillow and margaret's soft eyes dwelling on her with gentle gratitude ah this is hair said the old lady running her fingers through it come and look at it right right came and handled it and praised it unaffectedly the poor girl that owned it was not quite out of the reach of flattery owing doubtless to not being dead in sooth madame i did use to think it hideous but he praised it and ever since then i have been almost vain of it saints forgive me you know how foolish those are that love they are greater fools that don't said the old lady sharply margaret opened her lovely eyes and looked at her for her meaning this was only the first of many visits in fact either margaret van eyck or reicht came nearly every day until their patient was convalescent and she improved rapidly under their hands 
reicht attributed this principally to certain nourishing dishes she prepared in peter's kitchen but margaret herself thought more of the kind words and eyes that kept telling her she had friends to live for martin wittenhagen went straight to rotterdam to take the bull by the horns the bull was a biped with a crown for horns it was philip the good duke of this earl of that lord of the other arrived at rotterdam martin found the court was at ghent to ghent he went and sought an audience but was put off and baffled by lackeys and pages so he threw himself in his sovereign's way out hunting and contrary to all court precedents commenced the conversation by roaring lustily for mercy why where is the peril man said the duke looking all round and laughing grace for an old soldier hunted down by burghers now kings differ in character like other folk but there is one trait they have in common they are mightily inclined to be affable to men of very low estate these do not vie with them in anything whatever so jealously cannot creep in and they amuse them by their bluntness and novelty and refresh the poor things with a touch of nature a rarity in courts so philip the good reigned in his horse and gave martin almost a tete-a-tete and martin reminded him of a certain battlefield where he had received an arrow intended for his sovereign the duke remembered the incident perfectly and was graciously pleased to take a cheerful view of it he could afford to not having been the one hit then martin told his majesty of gerard's first capture in the church his imprisonment in the tower and the manoeuvre by which they got him out and all the details of the hunt and whether he told it better than i have or the duke had not heard so many good stories as you have certain it is that sovereign got so wrapped up in it that when a number of courtiers came galloping up and interrupted martin he swore like a costermonger and threatened only half in jest to cut off the next head that should come between him and a good story and when martin had done he cried out saint luke what sport goeth on in this mine earldom i in my own woods and i see it not you base fellows have all the luck and he was indignant at the partiality of fortune lo you now this was a man-hunt said he i never had the luck to be at a man-hunt my luck was none so great replied martin bluntly i was on the wrong side of the dogs noses ah so you were i forgot that and royalty was more reconciled to its lot what would you then a free pardon your highness for myself and gerard for what for prison-breaking go to the bird will fly from the cage tis instinct besides coop a young man up for loving a young woman these burgomasters must be void of common sense what else for striking down the burgomaster oh the hunted boar will turn to bay tis his right and i hold him less than man that grudges it him what else for killing of the bloodhounds the duke's countenance fell twas their life or mine said martin eagerly ay but i can't have my bloodhounds my beautiful bloodhounds sacrificed to no 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 they were not your dogs whose dogs then the rangers oh well i'm very sorry for him but as i was saying i can't have my old soldiers sacrificed to his bloodhounds thou shalt have thy free pardon and poor gerard and poor gerard too for thy sake and more tell thou this burgomaster his doings mislike me this is to set up for a king not a burgomaster i'll have no kings in holland but one bid him be more humble 
or by st jude i'll hang him before his own door as i hanged the burgomaster of what's the name some town or other in flanders it was no twas somewhere in brabant no matter i hanged him i remember that much for oppressing poor folk the duke then beckoned his chancellor a pursy old fellow that rode like a sack and bade him write out a free pardon for martin and one gerard this precious document was drawn up in form and signed next day and martin hastened home with it margaret had left her bed some days and was sitting pale and pensive by the fireside when he burst in waving the parchment and crying a free pardon girl for gerard as well as me send for him back when you will all the burgomasters on earth daren't lay a finger on him she flushed all over with joy and her hands trembled with eagerness as she took the parchment and devoured it with her eyes and kissed it again and again and flung her arms round martin's neck and kissed him when she was calmer she told him heaven had raised her up a friend in the dane van eyck and i would fain consult her on this good news but i have not strength to walk so far what need to walk there is my mule your mule martin the old soldier or professional pillager laughed and confessed he had got so used to her that he forgot at times gisbrecht had a prior claim to-morrow he would turn her into the burgomaster's yard but to-night she should carry margaret to Turgu. it was nearly dusk so margaret ventured and about seven in the evening she astonished and gladdened her new but ardent friend by arriving at her house with unwanted roses on her cheeks and gerard's pardon in her bosom End of section forty two